welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Welcome to church. 5 p.m. service. Come on, are we feeling good tonight? Yes. We're so glad that you're here. We truly believe that this can be home for you. And if you've been here more than one time, can you just do something real quick for me? Can you put your hands together to celebrate the first time visitors coming on our four year anniversary? Come on. We're so thankful that you chose to be with us tonight. And my name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at the Minneapolis campus. And I'm excited because I get to preach uh, just something that's on my heart. And uh, River Valley Church, we're in a series called Philippians For You. Turn to your neighbor and say, for you. For you. And tonight, come on, Vikings won, right? Vikings won. Shout out, Vikings. It's 5 p.m., so we're feeling good. We're feeling alive. So you can give me some feedback. You can give your neighbor some feedback. You can say, come on, that's good. You can say, preach it. Whatever you want to say, you can say it. Preach it, white boy, just like Connor said up here. But I'm thankful that we're part of this series called Philippians for You. And Pastor Al preached two weeks ago. And I just want to bring context to uh, what we're reading. Is, is when you're reading Philippians, whether it's on your own or when you're in this series, uh, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing to know about the context of Paul writing this. And uh, a few years before he wrote this, uh, he was in prison. And he was in prison with Silas. And uh, he was in the shadows, right? He was in the unseen, but in the midst of the unseen, in the midst of the shadows, he chooses to lift up his faith. He chooses to sing a song and praise Jesus. And because of his praise, uh, the, the jail broke loose and the chains broke loose. And I love this story because it lifts up my faith. Uh, the stories in the Bible aren't just to tease us but they're to teach us this is the God that we serve. And so when I read this story, I say, okay, whatever I'm walking through, I'm able to lift up a praise to Jesus and he's able to break through anxiety and fear and worry. That, that worship, it's a powerful a time to encounter the presence of God, but it's not a production, right? It's cool lights and it's a dark room and it feels good, right? Bjorn's going crazy on the drums and it feels great, but it's not a production. Paul and Silas, in the shadows, just themselves, lift up a praise and chains still broke. And so we believe that you encounter the presence of God, that maybe you're looking at the mundane of life, which is to believe that God can do a miracle. Believe that God can do a miracle. And so uh, he continues to spread the gospel throughout the world. And um, as he's doing that, he finds himself in jail again. So he's in jail again, and this is when he's writing to Philippians. This is what we read in Philippians 4 is he's in prison, which is a crazy concept because Philippians is referred to as the book of joy. And if one small thing goes the wrong way in my life, it's easy not to choose joy. But I'm reminded in Philippians that joy has nothing to do with our circumstance, but joy has everything to do with our Savior, that we can find joy in the midst of any season. And so Philippians 4, I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. You can follow on the screen, and it says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. 
and it's a four-year anniversary, and the series is called Philippians For You, so the title of today's message is, This Is For You. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is for you. This is for you. Turn to your other neighbor, the one you neglected, your second choice, and say, this is for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. And it's not by the persuasiveness of my voice, but by the power of God that's in this place. So my prayer is I get out of the way. I have notes here. I'm prepared. But my, my prayer is that I get out of the way, but you move, that you speak. Just like Clint was praying that more than one is gathered. And so this is your territory. The next 20 minutes is, is what you want to speak. Whatever you want to say. And we believe that people will walk out of this place completely renewed, completely brand new, looking at their situation a completely different way, because that's the God that we serve. And so we invite you into this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, I'm excited to preach, because this is the first time that I get to preach as a dad. Come on, somebody. I'm excited. So take some notes, come on. I got just a little bit more wisdom for you now that I'm a dad. Take some notes and that whole process of being a dad and the whole process of uh, the delivery room is wild. It's a battlefield in there and uh, if you're a parent, can you just raise your hand real quick, parent? A lot of parents in this place, amazing. Can we give it up for all the parents? Come on, all they go through, all they sacrifice to love on their child and Again, if you're not a parent, just be ready. It's exciting. And uh, on August 28th, uh, we got to go to the hospital, and we knew the next day Emma was being induced. And so we were excited, and uh, we're thinking, like, we can't wait. Like, we get to take this daughter home, and, like, she stays with us, like, for the rest of our lives. It's just a crazy concept. And uh, we go into the hospital that Wednesday night, and everything was going so smooth. I mean, picture perfect, like better than you could expect. And I'm sitting there and it's actually a decently comfy couch and got a TV right there. And I'm sitting there just like, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to be a dad tomorrow. Like, this is crazy. And so I go to bed and everything's going great. But all of a sudden at 4 a.m., right at 4 a.m., I'm awoken by not one, not two, but five nurses that come rushing in. And I'm like, you know, you get up really fast in those moments in the middle of the night where you get up really fast and you're just like, takes you a couple seconds and you're like, okay, I'm good. And then I think as I'm walking towards Emma, I'm thinking this is, this is my moment. <laughs> like this is my moment to shine. All the birthing classes, everything that I learned as being that support person in that delivery room, like this is my moment. So I go rushing towards her. I'm like, I'm so excited. Like I'm going to start speaking scriptures over her. I'm going to hold her at hand. Like you got this babe. Like this is you. This is what you're made for. And I begin to do that. And I got about 10 seconds past that. And all of a sudden something hits me. And I thought, I'm either going to pass out, I'm going to throw up, or I'm going to do a little bit of both. I'm sitting there like, I don't know what came over me, but something rushed over me. Maybe all the, the nurses surrounding my wife, and I began to panic. And next thing I know, I'm like back on my couch demanding the nurse like to give me apple juice. I'm like, somebody give me some apple juice. Come on. I'm like, I got a little blood sugar. I'm like, I'm feeling faint. And as they're like trying to save Emma, you know, and it was a crazy process. And I wish I could say I stood strong throughout the whole delivery process, but I, I didn't. Um, and the reason why that happened was because Bailey, my daughter, her heart tones were lowering. And so, uh, 
her heart tones would be 140, 150. Then Emma would turn in the middle of the night or do something, and they would drastically go down. And so the time that all the nurses came in, it was probably uh, something that they were concerned of, and it would be down to 50 or 60. And this was a problem throughout the laboring process. And then especially at the end, and we got to the end, and Emma is pushing, and she's about to deliver my daughter, and it's an exciting feeling, and I'm sitting there like, I'm standing strong now, you know, I, I recouped, I, I recovered from that one moment, but then I'm back at it, speaking life, like, you got this, like, you're made for this, and the doctor said, hey, if we don't push this baby out now, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section, because the heart rate kept lowering and lowering, and the doctor said, we got to get this baby out now. And I'm thinking, for the love of all that's good and decent, push this baby out, Emma. Come on. I'm like sitting there like, like I don't want a C-section. Like, and Emma's a champ. And three pushes later, she pushes the baby out. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, Bailey's there, and she's crying, and it's just the most exhilarating feeling of all time, and she's crying, and, and the doctors are trying to comfort her, and they weren't concerned, but they're just trying to, to comfort her, but she's still crying, and I, have, I know nothing about the medical field. I really know nothing about babies still, but I thought, maybe if I just say her name, that will help. And I looked at her and I said, Bailey. And it was a moment that I'll never forget because right when I said Bailey, she stopped crying. She looked right, at, uh, right up at me because she recognized her father's voice and she calmed down. And I believe it's the same thing for you and for me that there's so many things coming at us. And maybe you feel like Bailey. Maybe you're walking into a new season with a new job, with a new city, with a new school, whatever it may be, a new family member, and you're sitting there and all these things are coming at you, but the beauty of it is you don't have to be consumed by what's coming at you. Or maybe it's a funny story of me about to pass out, but that's not what I expected. And maybe you walked into tonight and you're looking at your life and you're looking at where you thought you were going to be and you think this is not what I expected it to be. But the truth of, is it, of it is, is you don't have to be consumed by what's coming at you. All you have to do is simply fix your eyes on your father, fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith, and he will bring peace to the storm. He'll bring peace to whatever you're walking through. That this life isn't about being perfect. Paul is in prison. This life isn't about being perfect. All it is is saying, I'm looking up to my Savior the one that can bring purpose in every mundane season, the one that can bring purpose even if I don't see him or even if I don't feel him, the one that can bring peace in the storm. All you got to do is fix your eyes, just like Paul is saying. Fix your eyes on who Jesus is, that he is more powerful than your situation. So often in life, we look at our problems but I'm sick of looking at my problems. But I want to look at the one that can make a problem for my problems and say, I'm looking up to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And we believe in the power of Jesus. And here at River Valley Church, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the Bible, that it's true. But also, we know that if we talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. So in giving moments and messages, we don't want to ever twist your arm because we know, even though that's what we believe, we know that if someone can talk you in, somebody else can talk you out. So because of what we believe and because of what we know, what we say is this. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. You can come just as you are. The reason we say that is we want to leave a space, not only in church, we want 
this to be a catalyst to your everyday walk with Jesus Christ, that you don't have to have all the answers, that the situations in life you might think, is God here? Is God moving? This is what I'm reading in the Bible. It does not make sense. Like, this is what's happening to my family member. Like, is that God? Like, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. With your walk with Jesus Christ, you don't have to necessarily believe everything right away. God is saying, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. And when you fix your eyes, you're able to have a conversation with him. You're able to wrestle with the things that he's speaking to you. This is how Jesus led his disciples. In Matthew 16, he says this, who do people say that I am? Right? If someone came up to you and said, who do you, who do you say Jesus is? It may be an easy answer. Well, my family thinks this. Well, well, my mom thinks this. Well, River Valley Church thinks this. But then Jesus goes deeper. He goes, but who do you say that I am? Who do you? That's my prayer, that this message will be a catalyst for you, that you'll be searching as you fix your eyes on Jesus, searching who Jesus is in your life. The power of the resurrection the power of the gospel in your life. Because the reality is, is you cannot stand on what other people say. That it may be something cool that you can repost on your story on Instagram, but when storms come, you can't stand on what other people say. You only stand on a direct revelation from Jesus Christ saying, no, he spoke to me because I fixed my eyes and I wrestled with them and I, I believe it to be true. And I want, we want this to be a space for you to discover that. It's not what your pastor thinks. It's not what your family thinks. It's, a, it's about what you think. That's what you'll be accountable for one day. If you're writing notes, looks like a lot of you are, which is awesome. You can write this down. Considering is for you. Considering is for you. And I think there's a lot of things that we can consider. The first thing is consider culture. And just like that story of Bailey, the analogy is, is in this culture, there's so many things coming our way. There's so many things coming our way. And for me, I'm learning how to walk this life. Because I know every yes I say, every time I say yes, I'm saying no to something else. There's so many things going on and I, I have to prioritize my life, what's important for me. And what culture says is this. Culture says that speed is more important than direction. What Paul is saying, fix your eyes. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Direction is more important than speed. He puts it this way in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Oftentimes in my life, this is my story. I wake up just in enough time to get dressed, to go to my first meeting. And then once I'm done with that meeting, I'll go to the next meeting. And once I'm done with that, I'll go take care of Bailey. And, once, and all of a sudden, there's been multiple days and I'm growing and I'm getting better but there's times I go to bed and I think, have I even once fixed my eyes on Jesus? Have I once got into the word? Have, have I once read soap today? And so often this culture is saying, speed is more important than direction. And Jesus, the way he lived, he lived counter-cultural. There's a story, I'm not gonna read it, but there's a story where a father comes up to Jesus and he says, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. And there's urgency in his voice. And what Jesus does is it says he works his way through the crowd. It doesn't say that he sprints toward this dying girl. No, he says he just simply works his way through the crowd. 
And as he's working his way through the crowd, there's somebody else who has actually had a problem for 12 years, who has been bleeding for 12 years, somebody who has been ashamed, somebody who's been an outcast for 12 years, reaches out with just the smallest faith, reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus recognizes it because he says, I, I felt power leave me. And he looks around and he finally finds this woman who, who touched the hem of his garment. And he said, because of your faith, you are healed. As this is happening, somebody else comes to that father who was urgent to get Jesus to his daughter. And he says, hey, don't bother. Your daughter has passed away. But Jesus then looks at the father and says, do you have enough faith? Let's keep walking. And so they walk to the house and the end of the story is Jesus raises his daughter from the grave. What a beautiful picture. But when I think about this story, I think about this. I think if I don't slow down, if we don't slow down, if we begin to think that speed is actually more important than direction, we will miss people in our way while we're on our way, 100%. There's so many times where I'm walking and I'm so important and I think the next thing is so important and the next thing is so important and I'm so consumed with what's coming at me or I'm so consumed with my schedule that I miss so many people that God has called me to love. So often I think God's called me to Minnesota so I can do this and this this and this, and God's saying, actually, you missed the whole purpose. Actually, it was the, the barista that you got coffee this morning, but you're so focused on that meeting. Actually, it was your neighbor, but actually, you're so focused on the next thing. That if we don't slow down, we will miss people. Jesus could have ran. It was important. 12 year old girl was dying. Like, I'm the one that can heal. But he walks because he says, every Step has a purpose. And if we don't slow down, not only will we miss people, but we'll miss Jesus. And we'll miss what he's trying to say. The temptation for the father could have easily been, my daughter died, I'm filled with sadness. This is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard, but we've got to figure out for the funeral. I've got to comfort my family. Probably a list of a few things rushed through his head that he had to go back and do. But he stayed there and said, I'm going to wait. And if we're moving too fast, we're going to miss Jesus in the midst of what he's trying to say. There's a cultural consideration, but also there's a physical consideration. See, what you give your attention to will actually change your mind, will actually change your thoughts, and eventually will change your life. Simply put, what you direct your mind to will change your mind. There's a scientific term, it's called neurogenesis, the process of giving birth to new neurons. Henry Ford put it this way, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right. Whatever you direct your mind towards, the positive or the negative, it will physically change your mind. And someone I, I look up to a lot um, here at River Valley Church is Pastor Kurt Graham. Can we just thank Pastor Kurt Graham? He's an Alpha Valley campus pastor, but he was a campus pastor here first for three years. Come on, building this campus. And I love Pastor Kirk, and I, I've learned a lot from him about being a dad and, and what that looks like. And something he does with Adley, his oldest daughter, is whenever she goes to school, whenever she goes out, she, um, she's picked up by her dad. And so Kirk allows her to see herself in the mirror and Kirk doesn't say this, but he has her daughter say this. And I have it on the screen. Every time Adley goes out, she says, I'm strong, I'm smart, 
I'm beautiful, I'm brave, I will fear no evil, for the Lord God is with me. I'm a leader, I'm a Graham, and Grahams love people. He's teaching his daughter, what you direct your mind to will physically change your mind. There is a physical consideration, but also there is a spiritual consideration that what we give our attention to can truly change us from the inside out. That we're not just an upgraded version of ourselves when we give our lives to Jesus, but we are brand new. There's a spiritual consideration. In this life, there is somebody trying to seek you, trying to destroy you. And in James 4, 8, Jesus tells us that we need to resist the devil and he will flee. There's a spiritual consideration. But I believe that the best way to resist is actually to replace. The best way to, to resist is to replace. And I believe that oftentimes in my life, the times that I fail or the times that I'm just trying to resist what the world is doing, I try to just muster up enough strength to resist what my mind is telling me. I try to just have enough strength to, to resist what the enemy is bringing at me. But the, the truth is, is that only Jesus Christ can give you power to resist. I'm a dad now, and so I'm trying not to have a dad bod. Come on, is any dads with me in this place? Yes, a few people. And I know that I'm somebody that tries new things. If you're close to me, you know this. Like one week I'm on keto. Like next week we're doing Whole30. Like we're doing this thing. Like any trend or fad or things to lose weight, I'm about it. I'm doing it in, in different workout plans, whatever it may be. And there's times that I'm successful, and then there's times I fail. But when I thought about this, as I prepared this message, I thought the times that I'm successful or the times that I'm not resisting, but actually I just replaced. Because listen, it's a matter of time. If I got some ice cream in my freezer, if I got some brownies on the stove, we got this meal train, which is awesome, but people are bringing all these different goodies. Like, but it's a matter of time that it's 10 p.m., Emma's asleep, and I'm hanging with Bailey, and I, I look and I think, those, those brownies look pretty good. Right, it's just a matter of time until I give in. We've all been there. But when I completely get rid of all of it and I replace it with good food, that's when I can be successful. That's when I can actually do what God's called me to do. And there's people in this place that you're spending too much time resisting. And what God is telling you to do is instead of just resisting the old thoughts or resisting the bad thoughts or whatever it may be, he's saying, fix your eyes on what's pure. Fix your eyes on what's honorable. Replace the thing that I've called you to replace it with. And as you begin to look at how God's created you, you're able to live this life. You're able to live this call and walk in this world and live a life that's, that you never expected to live. There is a spiritual consideration. But I love what Paul is saying in verse eight, that we need to fix our eyes, but also I love what he says in verse nine, that he attaches this to action. He says, not just fix your thoughts, like don't just sit there all day and think. He's saying it has to be attached to action. And in verse nine, he says this, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. We need to consider, we need to fix our thoughts, but considering leads to conviction. And conviction is for you. Somebody say conviction. Conviction is hearing God's voice. And unfortunately in American, conviction many times can be a bad word. Because it tells us in the Declaration of Independence that we get to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if it doesn't make us happy, then we're just gonna thank you next, you know? 
But God didn't call us to be happy. God called us to be holy. And he's saying, what you need to do is just continue to face what I've walked, I'm bringing into your life. And the things of this world, the things that, that you're struggling with will continue to be broken off your life. That there's this conviction that checklists are about religion, but convictions are about a relationship. And my prayer is as you consider, as you just simply fix your eyes on who Jesus is, that you will have a conviction inside of you to be able to love the people in this city. That you have this conviction inside of you to give. Can you imagine if I came up here and I preached and I said, I demand everybody to give. Right now, I demand everybody to love your neighbor. I demand everyone to serve. It would be a pretty weak statement and there would be nobody in the church. Because that's what religion is. But a conviction says, I'm going to encounter the grace of God. I'm going to encounter who Jesus is. And there's going to be something inside of me where I cannot wait to get to church on Sunday because I cannot wait to serve. It doesn't matter if I'm in the parking ramp where no one sees me or if I'm up here on stage. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait when they pass buckets because I have this conviction to give. There is a culture of conviction at the Minneapolis campus. And I can't wait to continue to pursue God and who he is. Because what, what the culture says out there says the good old days. It's the good old days. Remember high school, remember college, the good old days. But what a conviction says is no, the best is yet to come. That yes, in the last four years, 3,000 people have given their lives to Jesus. But we believe that the next four years, God is doing something greater in this place. The culture says you need to put people down so that you can be promoted. But what a conviction says is I want to believe what it says in James 4.10, that I'm going to humble myself before the Lord because he is the one that promotes. The culture says you need to live in pure, that you need to just do what feels good. But what conviction says is no matter how long I'm waiting for my girlfriend or my boyfriend, I'm going to be pure in how God's called me to walk this earth. The, the culture says that you need to gossip, that you need to talk bad about that person, about to that person. And, and what conviction says is I'm going to talk about that person behind their back. But instead of talking about them to somebody else, I'm going to talk to God about them. And it may not change what they're doing, but it's going to certainly change my heart towards them. That's what conviction says. Culture says Love those that you understand. But conviction says that I've encountered the grace of Jesus Christ. And so no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter if I understand them or not, no matter if I have a similar story as them or not, I'm going to love every single person in this city, every person that I encounter, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's out of my comfort zone, I believe that God can use me. That is a conviction. My prayer that you, is tonight, it's a catalyst to conviction. That's th some people, just like Adley Graham is at four years old, some people need to begin to speak life over themselves. Need to look in the mirror every morning and say, I have a call from God. That God is the one that can redeem everything that I've done. That I have a purpose, that I have a plan. And some people might think that's arrogant, looking at the mirror and speaking life over yourself. But that's not arrogance. Because arrogance is cultivated in self-doubt. The most arrogant people are actually the people that have doubted the most. But security, being secure in who God's called you to be, that's cultivated in scripture. And you're saying, I'm gonna to continue to have a conviction to speak life over myself. Considering is amazing. But what considering does is it changes the way you see. It changes the way you see the culture. It changes the way you, you see yourself. It changes the way you see God. 
But it cannot stop there. Because what conviction does is it changes the way you live. And so people around you will be, begin to see, man, that's not normal. The way you love your coworker, the way you work behind the scenes, like that's not normal. Your attitude, like Paul is probably ministering to so many people around him because he's in prison, but he's writing this down and he's so joyful because he is a vessel of Jesus Christ because his considering, his fixing his eyes led to a personal conviction that people were attracted to, that people were drawn to not only think about what's true we get to live what's true not only think what's honorable we get to live what's honorable we have this personal conviction and many times when we follow this personal conviction we step out and it can be lonely sometimes that we feel like God's calling us to do this in our work in our family maybe he's the only one that's calling you and he's saying God, do I got to do this by myself? And God's saying, you just need to follow me. You need to step out. But in the midst of you stepping out, he's there every step of the way. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone as you continue to follow the convictions he's placed on your life. And we're able to live this way because this is how Jesus lived. It says this in Matthew 26. Then he walked a short distance away and was overcome with grief. He threw himself face down on the ground and prayed, my father, if there is any way you can deliver me from suffering, please take it from me. He's considering what he's about to walk into, that he's a perfect man, and he's about to walk towards a criminal's cross. But he's spending time fixing his eyes towards his father and Jesus is teaching us in that moment, you don't have to believe everything you see. You don't have to believe everything you hear to belong. You can just be yourself, fully who God's created you to be, your doubts. And in the midst of that, my, my encouragement is, is surround yourself with people that are believing for you. Don't isolate yourself in the midst of that. But Jesus is sitting there and he's saying, is this the way? Like, are you sure? Are you sure, God, like this is the only way? But then later in the verse, it says this. Yet what I want is not important. For I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Not my will, but your will. When your response is not my will, but your will, that's when you're living out your personal convictions. And the beautiful thing about our Savior is he did not have to die on the cross for you and for me, but he says, I choose to die on the cross because I saw the other side. And I see the other side of my obedience is redemption for not just a generation, not just a few generations, but because of my obedience, walking towards a criminal's cross, that it's gonna be redemption for all mankind. And as you continue to walk this world, as you continue to walk with your convic convictions, just remember that there's people on the other side of your convictions, that there's people on the other side of your obedience, that God is calling you to stay in your jobs. God is calling you to stay in your families. God is calling other people to step out in the midst of what you're walking through. Believe that the convictions he puts inside you as you step out, he will never leave you nor forsake you. That there's people on the other side. And Jesus saw that. And so he walked towards the criminal's cross. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, we're going to close out this message and just give somebody here the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. 
that Jesus, because of his convictions, that he was fully God and fully man, he walked towards a criminal's cross and he died for you and for me. And he did it because of love. Because it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so if you're in this place and you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, whether it's through worship or this message and you feel like you want to give your life to Jesus and maybe you're here and you're going to recommit. You grew up in church and you grew up learning the right things, but you ran your own way. You've really made yourself your Lord. You made your job your Lord. You're saying, I'm coming back to Jesus tonight. That tonight's the night of salvation. Or maybe you're here and you've never heard this gospel message before and you're saying, I want to believe. I want to be in. If you just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so when I count to three, I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm just going to have you simply raise up your hand. Say, I declare this free gift in Jesus Christ. If that's you, can you just lift up your hand when I say three? One, Jesus says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Two, when you make this decision, you're a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If somebody here is ready for something new in this place, three, lift up your hand to heaven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven hands, eight. Incredible. Eight hands going up in this place. And if you raise your hand, we want you to pray this prayer, but we don't want anyone to pray alone. So church, can we just pray alongside of them? Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short. Please forgive me. Today I received this gift, the free gift of salvation. Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. And today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.